This week on episode 519 of Priority One, Kurtzman and Trek, another 500 years, Morty! Gene Roddenberry's archive goes into an NFT digital world, and plenty of new Star Trek-related products to add to your wish list. In gaming, rock out with your targ out when Mary Chifo goes metal for Star Trek Online, and Modifius has new goodies to add to your tabletop Star Trek adventures. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector's annual Summer of Trek Sweepstakes. Score the year's best deals on the world's widest range of Star Trek collectibles and enter for a chance to win one of more than 250 incredible prizes, including the grand prize of an Ocean View voyage for two aboard the sold-out Star Trek The Cruise 5. For details and to enter, go to www.get your trekon.com Command codes verified Priority 1 message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 519 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, August 17th, and available for download or streaming on Friday, August 20th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Well, Captains, we are back after a two-week hiatus where we enjoyed from afar all the festivities and parties and pictures that were tweeted and shared on social media from our friends that attended STLV this year. What uh, what did you guys enjoy the most from the, all those pictures that came out? Oh, cosplay, definitely. So you got, I mean, every it seemed like everyone was that was there really put their heart and soul into, you know, making it the best experience ever. And you could really tell in some of those costumes. Those were amazing. Every year, the bar for costumes just gets a little bit higher. Someone goes the extra mile. And you know that someone's put a lot of effort and thought when they cosplay as a replimat coffee rectagino mug from Deep Space Nine, it's like, who thinks of that? It's genius. Why? Doesn't matter. It's great that it happened all the same. So, yeah, I was just watching with uh, uh, just absolute joy to see the hard work that had gone into the, the cosplay. It was fantastic to see. So, yeah, well done to everyone who went. I hope you had a fantastic time. I really wish I could have been there. But next year, the year after, oh, yeah, I'm... It's, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometime in the future. Sometime. Sometime. I don't know when. I don't I don't know. Genuinely. have no idea, but I'm crossing my fingers all the same. But a big shout out to our Roddenberry family for uh, hosting the Roddenberry stage this year. To our friends, the Roddenberries, who were rocking out on the main stage and on the Roddenberry stage, introducing uh, the guests. So we are so very excited to have seen all those videos and pictures. And thank you for everyone who attended for sharing those moments with us. Before we jump into the news, we want to welcome new listeners to the show, and we hope you'll stay in touch. You see, this show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because, like you, they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines. Join the Armada so that you can experience Star Trek gaming with like-minded Trekkies, or consider joining the team and lending your time and talents to producing this show. Or captains, if you do find value in this production, consider supporting us via Patreon and being a part of our Patreon family. There, you'll find out what perks are available to you by offering a monthly financial contribution from as little as a dollar and up. So visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. 
Well, since we've been gone, quite a lot has happened. Although we'd like to cover all the stories, we'll have to narrow it down just a little bit to the news we think that matters the most. Starting with the announcement that Alex Kurtzman has locked in a new five-year, $160 million contract with Paramount Plus to develop not only Star Trek, but other projects as well. The New York Times' Nicole Sperling published an article on August 1st featuring interviews with Kurtzman and other major players involved. The article explores Kurtzman's past, present, and future projects for the studio and the hopes he has for the franchise. Something particularly interesting, though, was the announcement that a Starfleet Academy series is in the works, which will be, quote, aimed at a younger audience, end quote. Also, according to Sperling, quote, Mr. Kurtzman, who wants to get much weirder with the franchise points to a pitch from Graham Wagner from Portlandia and Silicon Valley centered on the character of Worf that he calls incredibly funny, poignant and touching. If it were up to me only, I would be pushing the boundaries much further than I think most people would want, he said. I think we might get there. Marvel has actually proven that you can, but you have to build a certain foundation in order to get there. And we're still building our foundation, end quote. You know, this article was amazing. I thought it was incredibly well written and addressed a lot of aspects about the importance and impact that this five-year contract has for Paramount Plus as a whole, right? Because he's not just doing Star Trek. He's putting together a live-action version of one of uh, Michael Chabon's books, among other things, right? Of particular note, and what I enjoy most, is when there are, in fact, industry insights into the importance of something, right? Sperling reports that Paramount Plus has... 36 million subscribers as of May versus Netflix's 210 million, Disney Plus's 104 million, and quote, many analysts are not confident that Viacom CBS will be able to continue to compete with the larger companies on its own. End quote. It goes on to kind of explain that all these other network companies, right, like Paramount Plus, Peacock, they're kind of burning the candle at both ends, right? They're producing content for theater, for linear television, right? Like the over the airways television, cable TV, and streaming content, right? Like they're just overloaded. Whereas Hulu, Amazon, Disney, they don't really need to worry about that. Specifically, Amazon and Netflix in the article uh, she points out, they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about a theatrical release. They don't have to worry about terrestrial television releases. They mm-hmm. just produce content for their streaming services. Whereas these other companies just, you know, are kind of burning the midnight oil trying to get content out on all these different platforms. So I'm I'm with those industry analysts that I don't I'm not confident that via CBS is going to be able to continue to support this. I pretty much agree with you there because those are Netflix. I mean, they all have such a huge hold on the market. They can afford to pay licensing fees. They already have their own infrastructure. I get that you don't want to give up your IP control by, you know, Viacom and whatever else. But, you know, those those platforms have way better delivery features, all the things that you don't have. So that's my thought. <laughs> and look, speaking of IP control, dun 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 dun. Paramount Plus has launched in Australia. So Australia now has Paramount Plus. It has officially launched. Uh, I found out because of a very, I'm sure, a very targeted algorithm on my social media. It was popping up everywhere. All, every social media I was on, I was seeing ads for Paramount Plus. So they've gone hard with the launch. Uh, So did Lower Decks premiere this week the way it did everywhere else, though? No. Ah. No, it did not. Because internationally right now, Amazon Prime holds the IP rights for Lower Decks and Star Trek Picard. The back catalogue of Star Trek television series is currently on Netflix, I believe, for international audiences. So if you'd like to go back and do a rewatch of Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Next Gen, the original series, Netflix is where they all live right now. So now Wait, comes so you the back can't watch it iPad. at all on Paramount Plus? You can't watch any Star Trek on Paramount Plus? Not that I've seen, but I also haven't subscribed. Oh. So <laughs> because I've got so many streaming services and from the initial viewing and the releases that I saw, there's no mention of Star Trek whatsoever. So for me, it's like, okay, right now I've got enough streaming services and I can watch everything that I want to watch. So Paramount Plus needs to bring something else for the table for me to become a subscriber right now. All right. So we're also overlooking another key element of this article.
article, which is how much weirder he wants to get with Star Trek. <laughs> oh, um, I wasn't overlooking it. I was just hoping maybe we could, like, he was joking. <laughs> no. Nah. Well, I don't know. Unless he means, like, it in a good way, but I don't know. A funny Worf show? Captain Worf. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. We've been talking about it for 20 years. I mean, the Captain know, Worf. Worf series. Yeah, but he's not a merry man. But no. that's the humor. <laughs> I don't know, man. I will. We'll get to our review of. of Wolf has Dex. a sense of humor. Sure. He was never happier than when he was married to Jadzia. And I haven't finished Deep Space Nine. I'm not sure how that pans out. But look, he's very, very happy. <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. I think that season two of Lower Decks, at least this premiere, is a good indication that yeah, it's it's they're just gonna throw everything out there, no matter how absurd it may seem and clearly they have the money for it right they're just gonna keep pumping money into projects that are have the star trek name on it and some of it's gonna stick and they don't you know they they understand that you know this show might only have this fraction of the audience and that's okay because we have the money to continue to support it mm -hmm. i guess you know what man what what can you do now at, at this point it's pick your trek and stick with it with such a broad focus now for Paramount Plus because they're across streaming platforms, they're across terrestrial television, they're doing cinematic releases as well in theatres. Now that they've locked Kurtzman down for five years, do you think it is likely that we will see Star Trek return to theatres? I believe there... I, I'm pretty sure that... Yeah, the, I thought there the, was something. Yeah, 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 there's something in the... Uh, mm. with uh, WandaVision's director. That's right. Yeah, but... Mm, I don't know, man. Trusted sources have told me. No, that's and right. I mean, we've heard um, that before, but I feel like this one was pretty legit. No, this one was legit. Yeah. This one was like the Variety had reported. This was something that Deadline came out. Like, it wasn't It wasn't a rumor that they... that the WandaVision director was brought on for this next movie. It's... it's They've been penned, and they're like... they're That's it. It's in production in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ken from Chicago, yeah, saying that mm. they're so, on board writing a script right now. So just just from this article alone, that that says to me that okay, it's not just thing uh, things for Paramount Plus. It's it's across the board that he's going to be developing hopefully Star Trek ideas and more, and that we will see more theatrical releases because people going to the movies, you know, that popcorn's really expensive. So that's how they make the money. Now announced at STLV, Gene Roddenberry's personal archives are being comprehensively digitized on an unprecedented scale with plans to do some fancy sci-fi things with the material. A joint effort between the Roddenberry estate, cloud graphics company Otoy, and Lightfield Lab, an Oscar-winning facial scanning service that hopes to preserve thousands of photos, documents, and physical assets like Starship models used in filming in extreme digital detail, preserving it for future study and recreation at the most faithful level of detail. There's a lot of detail in that sentence. I know. That's, they were really emphasizing the detail. The Roddenberry Archives will use Otoy's blockchain-based computer rendering network to extensively digitize the Roddenberry Estate's collection of documents, props, and filming miniatures from producers' work on Star Trek, its movies, and continuations including The Next Generation and Beyond. Longtime Trek writer Denise and Michael Okuda, as well as artists Mike Beeple, Winkleman, and comics legend Alex Ross are also contributing to the project. Beyond the historical importance of maintaining the extensive archives, Otoy intends to leverage the assets for fan experiences. A press release provided to the media notes that the company will work with display startup Lightfield Lab to create a one-to-one -one scale holographic replica of the USS Enterprise as seen in the original Star Trek. It claims to be able to use the original models seen in filming the series to create a projected replica, quote, indistinguishable from reality for one of the world's first fully immersive holographic installation experiences, end quote. Rod Roddenberry had this to say, quote, I cannot think of a more capable and innovative company to trust with these materials. Otoy's work will allow generations to experience my father's contribution to humanity with the greatest historical historical accuracy possible. This project will protect an optimistic vision of the future that has inspired so many and remains so important today, end quote. All right, here come the Roddenberry NFTs for you all to buy and spend yes. thousands of Ethereum on. So yeah, my understanding is that you will be able, to, 
some of these will be treated as NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. Yeah, non-fungible tokens that you can use on that are based on the blockchain to generate a type of ownership of the of the digital item, of the digital asset. So you can buy Neon Cat, the NFT, and Neon Cat is now yours. I mean, it's a very oversimplified way of dealing with it. It's a lot of cryptocurrency stuff. Uh, Google it if you're interested. But also, what I find interesting is that they've done they've done similar things with Sansar, the virtual reality world. There is a Roddenberry Museum in Sansar that you can experience. At no VR required. You can actually just, you know, if you have a regular gaming desktop or just a regular desktop, you can load up Sansar for free and walk through the Roddenberry Museum where they scanned physical models and costumes and, and blueprints and whatnot and put them in the 3D virtual space. So you can pick up a prop if you have the Oculus uh, handhelds or, you know, your mouse and keyboard. You know, you can kind of bring it up to your face. You can look away. They have the um, continuing voyages enterprise on display in Sansar. So it's a fascinating, fascinating digital trend we're living in. Have they worked on recreating the mycelial realm in Sansar? Because I hear experiencing that in VR is like another world. It's a whole other world. There are worlds that kind of resemble yeah, the mycelial like, world. I tried Sansar on my regular PC, and I feel like I got lost and could never find the Star Trek Museum because then I got stuck in some DJ land yes. <laughs> and I couldn't get out and I couldn't find the exit. It was terrible. Like, you have to walk around, you know, and find the exit. And I'm, now I'm like, I can't log back in because I'm stuck. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that this is the start when they say things like one of the world's first fully immersive holographic installation experiences and you think, wow, this is where it starts. And where will it end up? Right. Hopefully in Lower Decks with Mariner's nude workout program. We wait and see. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be amazing. Um, but uh, did you guys ever do that Marvel experience where they had, like, the holographic Hulk and Captain America and you could stand next to him and get your picture taken? With no. Okay, well, no. they had a traveling Marvel experience that was real, like, uh, immersive. But, I mean, it wasn't fully, you know, you know, you didn't have to wear it. You just walk around and then you could do like a you were in front of a screen and you could pretend to fly it was really cool hmm. um so it maybe be something like that but this sounds a little bit more intense speaking of bringing star trek to life the classic 1701 enterprise is warping into your living room or your games dungeon or bookshelf wherever you would like to put it with the announcement from playmobil of a model starship complete with seven crew members kirk's two-handed punch or kung fu grip not confirmed the model itself is over a meter long with lights sound and its own dedicated mounting and augmented reality app the model itself is impressive in size and according to the release there are more technical details yet to be announced i can't wait to hear more about what this toy um <clears throat> about what this collector's item has hidden away in the shuttle bay. but from the photos there is a lot to like with light up facade collectors and exceptional attention to detail and apparently in a playmobil first mr spock is the first figure in the company's history to have vulcan ear but if you're into relaxing with a good book then titan books has just the thing the latest release takes an inside look at the bad guys with star trek villains my favorite the federation's deadliest foes have all been collected in one terrifying volume the book features interviews with the actors behind the baddies such as Alice Krieg, the Borg Queen, Christopher Plummer, General Chang, and Ricardo Montalban, Khan, and profiles of alien foes such as the Romulans, the Gorn, the Dominion, and Klingons. The book is available for pre-order now through Amazon in the US and Canada and Forbidden Planet in the UK and Europe. So Titan Books are the same company that produces the, the, the autobiography of Captain Janeway, Picard, and whatnot. Uh, and they were kind enough to send us a bit of a preview of the book in PDF format. And it looks fun. It really does look fun. It goes behind the scenes quite a bit. Uh, particularly, they sent us a snippet here of, of Khan, specifically of Khan and Ricardo Montalban, and a story that Larry Nemechek shares about uh, uh, issues previously unseen of Khan Noonien Singh. So, yeah, if you are a fan of the villains, be sure to check this book out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Now, here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss but might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly about his involvement with the horror series Slasher, David Cronenberg also hinted that we may see his Star Trek Discovery character 
feature in three episodes in season four. A couple of interesting conversations were had during the 55-year mission at Las Vegas this year, and although Priority One wasn't there to report on the events ourselves, be sure to visit our friends at trekmovie.com for highlights, like Rain Wilson wanting to bring back Harry Mudd, and Kenneth Mitchell teasing a return to the franchise. And I also saw on Twitter that Chakotay, Robert Beltran, doing some voiceover work, he said, I'm doing what Kate's doing, you know, uh, that prodigy thing. So Chakotay coming potentially to Star Trek Prodigy. Well, links to that coverage from Trek Movie can be found in our show notes. Remember, Captains, to learn more about these headlines, be sure to review our show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. That's all the news we have to Trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. Once again, it's the summer of Trek with Eagle Moss. That special time of year from now through the end of August when you can score incredible deals on the world's widest range of Star Trek collectibles produced officially under the license from CBS Studios, including the Star Trek Starships Collection, the Discovery Starships, Star Trek Online Starships, graphic novels, bust collections, and now the official Star Trek Universe collection by Eagle Moss, featuring starships and vessels straight from Star Trek Picard and the soon-to-debut Paramount Plus series, Strange New Worlds. Plus, when you visit www.getyourtrekon.com, you can enter to win one of more than 250 incredible prizes, including the grand prize of an ocean view voyage for two aboard the sold-out Star Trek The Cruise 5, plus a $500 American Express gift card. This is a rare opportunity to boldly sail for seven days and nights alongside more than 20 20 iconic Star Trek actors and personalities, including George Takei, Walter Koenig, Marina Sirtis, and Jonathan Frakes. Two first prize winners will receive an 18-carat gold-plated XL edition of the classic USS Enterprise NCC-1701 from Star Trek The Original Series and autographed by William Shatner. Five second prize winners will be signed up for a one-year subscription to the Eagle Moss Hero Collector Star Trek Starship Collection of their choice. Fifty-third prize winners will receive a 50 US dollar shopping pass good towards purchases at the online Eagle Moss shop and 204th prize winners will receive a 10 US dollar shopping pass. Amazing. For details on ships, official sweepstakes rules and to enter, remember, visit www.getyourtrekon.com. No purchase is necessary and winners will be selected via random drawing from among all eligible entries on Star Trek Day, September 8th, 2021. And of course, we thank Eagle Moss for their ongoing support of Priority One. Hot damn, 18 karat gold. 18 karat gold. I know. Captains, while we were away, the most epic thing hit the internet. Something so awesome that we feel as though we should add a faux cautionary disclaimer before talking about it. Priority One is not responsible for the side effects caused by the sheer awesomeness of the following story. The mother of all Klingons, Mary Chifo, joined forces with Star Trek Online and singer-songwriter Jason Charles Miller to produce a song for the ages, Steel and Flame. In celebration of the Klingon story arc this last year in Star Trek Online, Mary Chifo goes all out in a heavy metal song entirely in Klingon. In an interview with ScreenRant.com, Mary spoke about working on the song, including a collaboration with the Klingon Language Institute to, quote, come up with lyrics that fit rhythmically as well as translation-wise, end quote. This video deserves millions of views, so go. Go click the link in our show notes and share the tag out of it. 
You know, it took me a while to watch this video, and when I did, I thought to myself, why didn't I watch this sooner? I mean, it was just... First of all, for a pandemic music video, it's like great. It's just amazing. With clips of Mary in front of her webcam, just rocking out, jamming out, and then in the recording booth, then combine that with custom air guitar riffs of the mother of all Klingons in Star Trek Online. I mean, it was just, this is like the perfect, perfect music video. It needs all the views. I mean, but she also wore her Batleth necklace, which was phenomenal. I mean, she's just a magical creature. I love her. <laughs> she is so, this is, I feel like I watched it. I've watched it at least probably five times. It's so good. It's a good song. It, it is. And then on top of that, it's like a, it's a good metal song. Really you good. Know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good... great. Oh man, she's so awesome. I love it. My favorite part is that all of the Klingon regalia, it's her. Yes! That's, that's just her stuff. That's right. her Batleth ne- necklace. I Beautiful. know. I love it. So good. I'm like, I want a Batleth necklace now. Well, let's talk about some ships. Thomas Maroney has been busy refreshing Starship models for Star Trek Online for some time now, and he has finally come full circle. On August 13th, the lead artist for Starship and UI teams shared some images of the refurbished model of the Pathfinder, the 25th century variant of the Intrepid class. It's a favorite of many players, and the new model does look stunning. It's especially fitting for Thomas to bring the refresh to fruition, as the Pathfinder was the first starship he designed for Star Trek Online. For a look at some of the images, be sure to check out our show notes. It's beautiful as all of as all of Thomas's designs are amazing. But yeah, this one's great. I love seeing the refreshes because you know, like they've always wanted to go back and spruce things up. I I don't fly the Pathfinder in the game, and I may have I may have when I first started because it's a very science heavy ship, right? Uh, yeah, and yeah. I don't oh, yeah. I don't tend to I don't tend to use the Voyager. Uh, I don't tend to use magic builds in anything that I play. Um, oh, I do. <laughs> but when one of the last times I went to Cryptic, uh, Thomas opened opened up a drawer of a bunch of 3D printed Pathfinders. And I just took one. I just stole it. No, I'm kidding. Oh. I didn't steal it. I didn't steal it. I was like, Can I have, you have like 20 of these just lying around. Can I have one? And so I have it Like sitting... Infinity Stones. They were. <laughs> it was like Infinity yeah. Stones. Lying around. <laughs> you had a drawer. They just got them. Of... And... Yes. Yes. They were just Infinity. Because, I, I, you know, the, the story was that they were, you know, these were all test prints and stuff. But they were just collecting dust. So I was like... But sitting on my on my desk in my office. That's why it's not back here, Thomas. If you ever look at my, my back, it's not on here because I have it. I have it uh, showcased in my office. Nice. Yeah, he has it where he needs it the most, like Homer Simpson does with all these pictures of Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the topic of ships, released to PC last week, the legendary Romulan Warbird bundle is now available in game at the price of twelve thousand zen, which translates to roughly hundred and twenty US dollars. The bundle contains the following items. The T6 Legendary Scimitar Intel Dreadnought Warbird, the T6 Legendary Dideridex Miracle Worker Warbird Battlecruiser, a T6 coupon for a free T6 ship in the Sea Store, two experimental ship upgrade tokens, two ship slots, because, you know, you're going to need those two ship slots for your new T- T6, you know, Scimitars and Dideridexes, three Infinity Promo Romulan Survivor Duty Officer Packs. You also get some Romulan uniforms, a Riemann uniform, and a Riemann bridge officer unlock. It's very cool. If you don't have one, you should unlock one because they're pretty cool to have on your bridge. Yeah, I was real excited about this bundle because I love Romulan ships and I could not wait to get it because also uniforms. <laughs> now I can space Barbie even more. Roscoe, did you get these ships? I, I did not because 120 US dollars equates to 100, about 162 dollars Australian and so I shall be waiting for the next time that pops around on sale. I think for me, that is uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit too was rich on, for my blood. Yeah, I mean, it was on sale that first week. Of course, mm-hmm. we're past that right now. So it's back to full price. But, you know, it'll go on. Bundles will go on sale again. But I, the, I picked it up for sure because I wanted all those. I didn't necessarily need all those things, but I wanted all those things. The more I look at the Dideridex, the more I like it. And what made me really appreciate the work that's gone into 
into it is that Thomas Moroni shared on his Twitter a side-by-side comparison of the remodel versus the original. And the work that's gone into it and to upscale this, it looks amazing. The details are just absolutely epic. The scimitar animation is fantastic. The, you know, you can put the adapted uh, skin on your scimitar. Oh, man. My, I actually, and you know I hate flying big ships, but I actually am flying the Dideridex right now, and I am pretty much liking it because I didn't die <laughs> when we were doing TFOs, and I thought that was amazing because normally I die like five times because I mm-hmm. fly escorts. So, yeah, not dying. That was new. Yes, but how are you handling just the turn rate and not uh, being able yeah, to Yeah, that was quickly? a beast. It was a beat down, I got to tell you. I'm going to have to go get some consoles <laughs> to fix that because, ooh, man. I just kind of sat there and turned a little bit, not much. I really like a Miracle Worker ship, though. I really enjoy the Miracle Worker. It's excellent. I mean, these ships are gorgeous. I'm, yeah, I'm not upset about the price tag because you're you're also getting a T6 ship coupon. So you're getting three ships for, Mm -hmm. what, 40-ish dollars each, which is not the worst. I mean, they're normally 30, so I I feel like, yeah, it's a legendary ship. And yeah, they're beautiful. So well done. And also, space Barbie. You know it's the real end game. <laughs> mm-hmm. In other gaming news, if you're looking to upgrade your Star Trek tabletop adventures, well, now you can wear your gear. The Modifius Tricorder Edition is a boxed set in the style of an old TOS Tricorder that is functional. You can wear it. You can't scan anything, but you can store your tabletop goodies inside, like division themed dice, the game master and player guides, and a complete campaign scenario. So So if you love to cosplay and need to add some additional functionality to your accessories so that you're ready to jump into a tabletop game at a moment's notice, then be sure to visit modifius.net to find out more. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. That's the news from Trek Games this week. Now let's look on screen for the latest episodes of Lower Decks. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2 on screen. All right, so let's first get some of the statistics out of the way for episode one. This one was written by Mike McMahon, directed by Jason Zurek, and premiered August 12th, 2021. Michael, we want to welcome you to this conversation. You have been our scholarly resource to help us analyze past episodes of Trek, but guess what? There's new Trek, so let's do it with new ones. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Oh, so excited. This is going to be so much fun. These first two episodes are going to give us a lot to talk about. All right, let's jump in. Why don't you offer us uh, some of your thoughts? Uh, So the first question we were going to ask is what, you know, what scene got you most excited? And for me, it was the, it was the flaw flying um, ransom head scene. <laughs> so basically from like when he is decapitated or when his head goes into flight and you know lightning from the eyes and everything this was my favorite scene in part because I think it it really connects to other Trek episodes in some really interesting ways like they obviously name check a TOS episode 3 right where no man has gone before the Gary Mitchell episode and they name check that in tons of ways with like the eyes and then they even mention I think Mariner mentions explicitly uh, Mitchell but then I think there are also echoes of other episodes where human beings are kind of given absolute powers and how corrupting that is. I mean, it's sort of the, the, the old adage, right, of absolute power corrupting absolutely that old 19th century quote. But but you see that in like TNG uh, season one episode, Ted Hyden Q, where, where Riker basically becomes a Q, right? And you see like how it corrupts him. Or I even was thinking about like uh, the infamous uh, movie number five final frontier of the you know the disembodied godhead <laughs> you know, this guy that they this... you're a god why do you need a starship <laughs> i love that question right it's so good so i don't know i feel like there were so many like echoes of other kinds of trek in that scene that it just put me over the moon all right so what about just um your overall review and and just commentary on the on the episode well i thought it uh, it, it was funny right obviously they they, they all are but i thought thought it was it was a great intro to the second season i love the titan cutscenes. like th- that is just a storyline sort of the titan storyline that has been explored in novels quite a bit 
and some really good Trek novels, but we haven't really seen a lot of it on the screen. And so I just love the way that they were able to, you know, sort of use Boimler's promotion to give us a little bit of a glimpse into into the Titan life. And I just love what they do with Riker and with the whole crew. I think it's just I think it's just fantastic. So overall, I would say I really enjoyed episode one. I thought it was funny. And at the same time, I thought it was able to deal with some serious themes, right? About like what happens to human beings when they are given tremendous amounts of power. And it just seems to be this aspect of human nature that we just can't handle it. We can't handle being more powerful than other people without doing damage to the world. All right, Kat, what about you? What kind of scenes or sequences got you most excited about uh, episode one? I mean, the, the beginning, you're, you know, you're with Mariners. There's a Cardassian. Obviously, she's about to get tortured. There's four lights. I mean, that was amazing. You're just like, what's happening? And then you start to realize, oh, Mariners doing her holodeck therapy thing again. And I'm loving it. She's like, what do you want, Jennifer? Yeah. The Andorian. Jennifer returns. Jennifer, Jennifer returns. <laughs> Je- I mean, <laughs> yeah, that is great. And I love because, you know, the Vindicta episode was what the right before the season finale. So, I mean, I love that they haven't forgotten where they were from last season and that she continues to, you know, act out her aggressions in the holodeck, you know, as her workout, it's leg day, you know, I loved it. I thought that was great. I loved seeing Boimler on the Titan, which is also great. Yeah, because again, you want to know what happened to Riker after the Enterprise, you know, again, Rutherford and Tendi. I love, love them. So I mean, it was just good to see everyone again. How are they going to deal with Mariner's relationship with her mom? I mean, they weren't even hiding at that point. And I love Ransom. You know, he's upset about it. But then all he needs is the captain to praise him. And he, you know, brings it well, sort of brings it back down for a second. (laughs) Is there anything you would have done differently for this particular episode? Nothing comes to mind. It's just because everything is so one thing leads into the other. It's if you change one thing, then the other things might not happen. It's just really hard to speculate like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way because Mike McMahon, he's he's a treasure. All right. So just overall, what about your just overall statement or review of the episode? Okay. So there were points in this episode where I thought it kind of dragged a little for the premiere episode. So I was like, and maybe that goes back to the, it felt a little longer than normal, like what uh, some of the feedback was in this week's show. Yeah. It felt like it dragged a little bit in parts and I I gave it an overall review of a three out of five yeah three out of five uh it was good I loved seeing it but I also didn't get that euphoria that I was getting towards this later end of season one I I thought this was a solid premiere actually you know for picking up where we left off like you had mentioned before right that this this didn't seem like if it was like a sudden shift in fact what it felt like to me was um that the writing the character and their voices are now in their stride, right? They are now comfortable in the world that they've built. One particular scene that I enjoyed, right, was that there's this moment where Tendi and Rutherford are, are in the corridor while Ransom's head is outside, like, just, you know, attacking the ship, right? And it's that kind of, like, little nuanced thing that happens and that they set up that they don't pull away, but instead heighten the moment, right, where there's this, you know, very sensitive conversation happening whilst Ransom's head is chomping down on the Cerritos. That was a great scene. <laughs> Speaking about the nuance, right? Like, you know, the 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 repetition of strange energies. There's a strange energy. Strange energies. What kind of strange energy is it? I don't know. Something strange. It's these little things that I think help elevate the that love letter feeling to Star Trek, right? What I also appreciated was that they saved Boimler to the very end of this episode. Right, like there was one moment that they're t- they're walking through the corridor and they're talking about Boimler, and you almost expect that there was going to be a cutscene to Boimler on the Titan, but it didn't. They didn't. They saved that sequence until the very end, which I absolutely loved. I mean, that moment where they go into that rift and Riker's face stretches and he's like. Ah! 
I mean, it was just so it lightened my heart, right? Like, it, it, like my heart shone in that moment because you know that that uh, Jonathan Frakes is loving it. Like he's loving doing this, you know. You can tell in his voice. I mean, you, yeah. Can, Ilya, can I ask a, a question about your love letter comment? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was so struck. I won't get too much into the second episode, but I was so struck. Like these two episodes, you can tell they were written by people that just love the trek, right? And there are so many echoes and references. It felt denser to me. Like there was more of a love letter element to these two episodes than there was in season one. And I've been going through season one now for a second time. And I just like that they're leaning into it. Like one of the things that we've said about Discovery in the past in After Hours is it doesn't feel like the writers love Trek. It feels like in these episodes, they love it. And there's like a love song being written to it. You know, yes, yes, very much so. But I think that it can be a detriment to the reach and the the potential reach that this series can have but I'll get to that when I answer what I would do differently right I'll get to that when when I answer that for for episode two but overall I mean you know I thought it was a fun adventure for the season two premiere thoroughly enjoyed it and uh yeah that's about it I'd say yeah three out of five four three and a half out of five stars uh, Roscoe how about you I thoroughly enjoyed it absolutely solid start to a second season it got me from the very first moment because we open on a scene that's not Starfleet in any way. It's immediately alien and it makes me go oh, I don't know where we are straight away. And then we start seeing familiar elements and four lights and Cardassian ships and okay, now I can get the picture. And it slowly just builds up from there. And I, yeah that opening scene, Kat, I have to agree, that just, that was amazing. Leg day, god damn it Jennifer she's such an the annoying Andorian. She wants to come into the holodeck and do yoga. <laughs> she's like, I hate that in Dorian. <laughs> She's coming to the holodeck to do yoga. Do it in your quarters. You can do holo- You can do <laughs> yoga in your quarters. Why are you going to the holodeck to do yoga? That makes no sense. It's interesting you point out that 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 moment with Jennifer too, because Mariner says, "Look, I know we're not supposed to have interpersonal conflict, but I really hate that Andorian." Yes, and yes. that is straight up, straight up a Roddenberry reference, Gene. a Gene Roddenberry oh, wow. reference, where he the Bible was written that there was no interpersonal conflict on the bridge of, of the next generation. So I, I it, actually, I was thinking about that line and it just dawned on me now that that's a very Gene thing. In terms of what something you said, Michael, the density of it, the density of the scenes, the density of the writing in this episode. And I want to thank Mike McMahon because I've paused so much on that moment where the, the Miranda class ship comes shooting out. And I I'm looking too. at all of the starships all that are in there. Ship. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to take me forever to try and identify what these are and there's a lot <laughs> in there and they all just look great and so yeah just those little details uh, were excellent and that held up throughout the course of the show that's what this show has now a reputation for the solid details the solid callbacks throughout the an entire episode wonderful was the intro different there were some differences I feel yeah. like unless it was from the yeah screen- they modified yeah because there was another ship in the ro- in the Borg Romulan Packlets. It's the Packlet ship. Okay, because yeah. I'm like, hey, this is a little different. This is awesome. Yeah, being the details guy, I do love that. The, there's a Borg cube. There's Romulan warbirds. There's Packlet ships there now, and also some Klingon birds of prey swooping in with a couple getting destroyed. And then the Cerritos takes a hit and warps the heck on out of there. So little details like that, little changes. So are the Packlets going to become more and more of a menace over the course of this season so that that intro scene will change over? over the course of the season will the Packlets beat the Borg at their own game that's they're kind of like the dumb Borg really they just want they want your stuff and we add it to our own <laughs> but okay let's think what, one more Borg. thing about the Miranda class okay like it's about time that it gets a hero scene because let's be clear like the Miranda class hasn't had a hero scene since Khan probably <laughs> like in all the right. in all the you know Borg encounters in the DS9 you know big fleet battles the Miranda is always getting its butt kicked. So at least we get a different look at it this time. So Roscoe, overall? Overall, a really solid start. This had so many clever, clever jokes. I was laughing the whole way through. Just Dr. Tarano turning around and just saying, and I'm going to go find a boulder. <laughs> All right. That's great. 
Love. Oh, I cracked up laughing. And it was just constant, constant jokes all the way through. Yeah, really wonderful start to the season. Uh, I think I know it will only go up from here as we get more involved with these characters. We know them now, and it just continues to build. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it four. Four out of five. To that point, right, about, like, The Rock, the absurdity, I feel, works a lot, has been working better in season two. The whole point of them being back on that planet, for example, is so that they can choose a subspace number. That's so absurd. (laughs) Like, that's so absurd. Like... Love it. The guy's like, no, no, no. You know, this number. This one reminds me of my ex-girlfriends. Has to be. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's just, you just say, connect me to what? <laughs> like, it, so the, you know, the absurdity seems to work a little better in this flow of writing where as you know in the first couple of episodes of season one actually the first the whole chunk of season one i felt like everything was kind of being shoehorned and like pushed in and like all right you gotta love it it's a star trek reference love it love it love me love me love me lover 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 (laughs) um that's a season one reference You know, whereas this felt more organic, right? This these this felt more o- organic to me. All right, now moving on to episode two, Kayshawn, his eyes open. This episode was written by Chris Kula, directed by Kim Arndt, and premiered on August 19th, 2021. Michael, why don't you school us? Kayshawn, his eyes open. This was great. So obviously, right, a reference to Darmok, this well-known, I think it's season five uh, of TNG. I think episode one. Sorry, I think it was the first episode of a new season. So I think it is season five. Season five, episode two. But uh, one of the most beloved episodes, and I think one that, like, for somebody like me who loves literature and sort of ancient history, this episode was like a, a quote of a quote of a quote. And what I mean is like the 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 original story of uh, of Dharma is a retelling, and Picard even says this explicitly, sort of of the old story of, of Gilgamesh and Enkidu of the of the epic of Gilgamesh. These two ancient Mesopotamian heroes who come together over conflict, and that's that's one of the kind of insights that Picard comes to is like, oh, Dharma and Jalad at Tanagra. This is like Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk. And so when you now get another child of Tama who becomes a puppet, which is great, <laughs> um, you kind of get this echo of an echo of an echo. It's like we call it a palimpsest in literary terms. It's like this this piece of paper that you've, you've written a story and then you erase it and then you write another story on it. But like there's still enough of the previous one that you can still see it in the new writing. And that's like what this is. It's a palimpsest, a story on a story and a story. And and so I love sort of the references back to uh, back to Darmok. Uh, Kat and I share this just the collectorship was awesome and that's a great episode where data gets collected i can't remember the name of the episode uh the best toys the most toys the most toys yes i'm sorry it's one of my i love that episode it's It's a great data episode right Uh, and so but i love the collectorship especially the kales helmet of fornication which uh, as far as i can tell like is not a real deal they just sort of made it up but it it worked anyway I mean, you don't know. I mean, how would we? It wasn't in the opera, right, that they were doing on the holodeck with Quark and Grilka. <laughs> wasn't part of that story. Right, for sure. And I think maybe just on a more on a more serious note, um, I appreciated the this is like a, a growth character development story for Mariner because you have this other ensign come in, right, who thinks about leadership really differently. They start off like in conflict, but they end, you know, kind of friends and with respect for one another. But it's sort of it's I appreciate seeing her grow that way and also seeing her kind of turn to uh, like Rutherford and, and Tindy as like sources of a plan or and, and of leadership. And so I just thought it was kind of a, you know, character development episode. Too. So overall, your overall review and statement of the episode? Four. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. Layer upon layer of, of love for Trek and also, you know, these these first two episodes of season two are both hilarious, but they also deal with like profound themes, you know, about power in episode one and in, and in episode two about what it means to make space for a different kind of leadership. All right. How about uh, we switch it up a little bit? Roscoe, why don't you go first? Oh, gosh. Where to start with this episode? Kayla's sex helmet. Great. Can't wait for that to appear in Star Trek Online. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Next year's oh, Riza. Next year's Riza event. Uh, Riza. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Look, Riza is weird enough 
win in the offseason. There's always room for more sex helmets. What the heck are going to be the statistics on that? What's going to be the buffs on those? Oh, never mind. Extra protection <laughs> is what it will be. <laughs> and then with a with a damage buff, because if you attack it, the, the spikes will get you. Yeah, it's you go with Plus plan 10 B, against man. toxic plan damage. <laughs> I mean, the, the killer Roombas chasing them around the collector's room vault, that was excellent. Uh, Mariner taking that moment to realize there is another way, like you said, Michael, that different style of leadership that was that was really nice to see. It was not some nice character growth from Mariner. More Titan, more often is one of the notes that I have here. It was just, I, I, we've said it before, but it's great to see the Titan. It's great to see Captain Riker. He's really going through this wonderful resurgence of enthusiasm at the moment. Everyone loves Frakes. Their exuberance for Frakes because he's just a wonderful guy and brings that energy to the character to see it now on the screen in animated form where he's embracing being captain and the excitement of not knowing what's around the next nebula is just wonderful. And then all of a sudden you have two Boimlers. One of them now has an incredibly special bond with Riker because he's a transported duplicate. So their relationship is going to be amazing. And of course, we get the tale of Brad Boimler, not William Boimler. We get Brad's story and he's going to, he's going to be just heartbroken constantly looking at what this other transporter copy of him develops with Riker because they share this bond. What's going to happen in the future is it's just going to beat him down even more constantly. Oh, I cannot wait to see what becomes of that. It's just so much fun. This was another solid episode. This took it up an, another level in terms of the detail. All of the stuff that's in that collector's vault on its own. It, it's just another pause, look, figure out what everything is type moment that Lower Decks does. This is what they're good at now. It's it's cramming the references in. But in a, I think, again, this is another way of doing it that's not so... It doesn't feel like it's so manufactured. It feels it's part of the story. It, it makes sense in the narrative. So, yeah, for me, it was a really excellent episode. They're doing so many good things and doing them well at the moment. So I'm, I'm going four and a half stars. All right. I'm going to get critical here. So this is where I get critical. <gasps> So, like I said earlier, I think that uh, the flow of these first two episodes uh, is much better and much the structure is is uh, much more solid because they seem to have a flow. Like I think back on on season one, that last episode, right, where they're fight, battling the 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 pack leads, was still funny, had its absurd moments. But the characters and the plot ended up standing on its own. It wasn't just an episode of parody, of Star Trek parody, which is what I felt in the first half of season one. This episode, although chock full of Easter eggs, still managed to not be solely based on Easter egg references, right? Like it wasn't thinly connected stories that have to do with something that, you know, and make a joke about it, right? However, it, it that's not to say that it wasn't heavy on the Easter egg. I mean, this is an episode where you have to watch older episodes of Trek to kind of get it. And this is where I'm concerned about the rest of the season and how they treat Easter eggs and nods and, and callbacks and all that jazz. Here's an example. There's the scene on the shuttle with Boimler and the rest of the Titan Away team, and they're having a long, deep-cut conversation about stuff that happened on the Enterprise D. And if you only caught a couple of episodes of TNG or maybe you never watched it before that whole conversation is gonna go right over your head the joke about Darmok and Jalad although not as not as dependent to a scene is also gonna go over somebody's head if they didn't watch the episode Dar Darmok and Jalad right but it's less offensive because not offensive but it's less of a um, hindrance on the episode because it's not the whole episode right it's not a whole episode of Darmok and Jalad but I, I refer back to that scene on the shuttle right they talk about the the quartets and things on the D little subtle things that was an entire conversation that is just going to go over somebody's head. But at the same time, they managed to, again, take an opportunity to address the audience. And there's a monologue that Boimler delivers about, you know, what and why he joined Starfleet. And I think that that when, when he's trying to tell his fellow crewmates that, hey, it's not all, you know, explosions and whatnot. I think that's the writers talking to the audience. It's saying, hey, I joined Starfleet for the quartets, for the random things, right? And this is what you as 
as the audience or what we hope that you and the audience will appreciate that this is some of those moments in Trek that were supposed to be taken seriously, but we're spinning it. So my criticism, my concern is that if these massive deep cuts could end up being a detriment for an audience or for a viewer watching the episode because they may not get it, right? It's not like an Easter egg, like looking at the room, at the collector's room, right? Where you can be like, oh, look, there's the video, the game helmet that, that fries everybody's brains. And oh, look, it's a whale from, from you know, Voyage Home and ha ha ha. Like, you know, those are moments that you pause, right? And you can go, oh, I'm a Star Trek fan. But there was a whale? Yeah, there was a case with a whale. <gasps> And it, oh, I didn't I see that. It. I saw the con pendant. Are it's you... real, yeah, the con pendant. Like those, I can. Those are homages, right? Like that's something that, as a Star Trek fan, you can go ooh 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 ooh. But when a whole scene is dedicated to callback, right, to a, a specific reference. Yeah, but don't you think it's exposition in a way? It's like, but you're assuming the audience. Uh, people always assume the audience is dumber, maybe than they are. Like they're obviously saying oh hey it was like this so even if you hadn't seen it you're getting like Boimler's impression of what it was like so maybe they are giving like exposition of they're trying to tell you what it was like you know instead of having to show you so maybe and people would get that so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go back and watch everything to get all the references you get the gist of it I guess it's it didn't feel like an exposition thing it felt like it, it the conversation was just so I mean it was very specific to ev- a lot of episodes on. I mean... Right, right. That's what it was. It was very specific. Right, right, right. It's very specific. So, I mean, it could go both ways. Either it just goes over your head, you don't even absorb it, so it doesn't affect you. You still get the story. And they still explain about the two transporter streams and the accident and what happened to Riker, so that's not completely unheard of. Right, that was exposition, right? Like, that one was an explanation, right? But, like, that scene in the shuttle was, was too specific. It was too specific that if you never watched TNG before that whole conversation might go over your head so that's my concern right that that I hope that they end up finding a bit of a balance I'm also really curious to speak to somebody who's not a Star Trek fan maybe they're just a Rick and Morty fan maybe they're they're heavy Star Wars fan and watches this series for that reason right do scenes like that one in the shuttle between Boimler and the Titan crew does that completely just miss the mark for people like for people who just don't know Trek or does it still land in some way I'm really curious about that yeah well I, I think there are a couple of things one is this is probably the challenge for all writers that are working in like deep universes or you're in uh, worlds that have been built over multiple generations so I was thinking about like with Mandalorian season two when they introduce Ahsoka Tano she's a character that existed exclusively within Clone Wars and so somebody who like watched the original Star Wars movies or even like the just the movies they wouldn't have no idea who that person was and why we she was significant yeah I didn't I didn't right yeah and and that's probably for a lot of people and so can you effectively tell a story that is dependent upon like these small eddies within a larger canon um, and I don't know I think the jury's out part of it I think you just have to sort of test the waters and see but I think that you know the writers do have a pretty significant challenge there. I take your point, Elio, in, in terms of how someone who isn't familiar with Star Trek may not get all of the details in that conversation of the shuttlecraft, but I completely disagree in that there's enough content and detail in there for someone who doesn't know Star Trek to still get the jokes. There was also enough content and detail in there for someone who hasn't watched Star Trek to go back and discover that. I think that conversation is less about excluding audiences or you're mindful that people won't get the joke. I think this that conversation is an opportunity for viewers who've not seen the next generation to go and discover that and then just get to get the joke. That's an enticement. That's again that love letter to the series. I hope so. I certainly hope that it entices people. I don't think it's restrictive. I think it's an opportunity for people who are seeing it for the first time to go, you know what? I don't get that and I wanted I want to go and find out more and I hope they will. Yeah you're like Riker did what and what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I want to go watch yeah. that episode. Where was the 
string quartet. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Because even though, like your, to your reference of Star Wars and The Mandalorian, uh, Michael, I, I didn't go back to, I didn't watch The Clone Wars. I knew that that character was from like the animated, but that's about all I knew. Right, but that's all you needed to know, really. You knew she was a Jedi and that she was there to help Grogu. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, you didn't? I mean, you knew she was a Jedi because she had a lightsaber. I mean. Right? Oh, when I watched The Mandalorian, yes, but I had, I never watched The Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, but you didn't need to know that. You knew right, like Grogu right. needed help and he needed a Jedi and there's one because she's got a lightsaber. You didn't need to know her backstory that she was exiled from the Jedi Order. But anyway. And the title of that episode was called The Jedi. So there was a bit of a hint. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, the gist of, like, her significance got across to you without you knowing her backstory. Right. But I, and I hope, I hope to Roscoe's point that people will go in and, you know, yeah, I want to learn. Right. But, like, the gist of what Boimler is explaining in that scene is, like, I want to do these other explorey things, not the pew-pew things. You know, that was the gist of what he's trying. He's obviously uncomfortable with the whole situation, and he's trying to say, no, I like the Riker that did this other stuff, <laughs> you know? And, you know, by the way, I think, Elio, you, because of your, like, acting background, you could probably speak to this more. Like, I don't know very many actors who are great at doing a caricature of themselves, which is what the Riker character is. Like, like he doesn't, you know, if you if you like listen to Riker dialogue in TNG, like he doesn't necessarily sound, you know, doesn't say the same things what, that he does. In, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> or warp, whatever. <laughs> or like this song has more licks than whatever, whatever he said. But like he's so good at caricaturing himself, and that seems like a really special skill. Yeah, you know, it's the lines have blurred between Jonathan Frakes and Will Riker. I mean, if you go to a convention and you see him on stage it i mean it's the lines are blurred you know like who where jonathan frakes begins and where Riker ends you know whatever the it's weird right like I wish I could be like well Stanislavski would have said and Meisner blah 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 but there's not it's just that it, they've blurred he like Riker is Jonathan Jonathan is Will you know it's just the, the two of them it's like the Owen Wilson of Star Trek <laughs> yeah 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 That's so Cap, you know overall what are your thoughts on the episode anything you want to share uh I loved this episode I loved it it was magical but you know what? Something we haven't talked about either from episode one or episode two is Mariner and her mom. I mean, that was a big part of episode one. So I loved that Ransom's issue was like, you like Mariner more than me. You know, <laughs> that was part of his problem. But like, he's also like, you guys hate each other and don't want to work together. So, I mean, I'm glad they dealt with that and moved on, you know, speaking of relationships among the crew so that they could at least address that immediately decide like Mariner's got to do her own thing to be happy and her mom does her own thing and I love that Captain was waiting on her report you know her evaluation performance evaluation about her micromanaging I mean I love that part of the episode where she's like never again this is what happens because now he's a puppet <laughs> so good we didn't even talk about that so I just want to bring that up because we haven't mentioned any of that before and I love the character development between the Captain and Mariner and you know Ransom too, obviously, and Stevens. What's up with that guy? <laughs> what are you guys thoughts on Lieutenant Kayshawn? I loved him before before he got turned into the puppet. I loved him. He's great. I, the the moment where he comes on and he says, you know, the very Darmak and Jalad thing, and they all just kind of stand there and stare at him. That was that was nice. That was just like a nice quick comedic moment. I know. And then he's like, "Whoops, Universal Transporter." And then I love it because then everyone's in, interpreting for him at the end. Where you're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Well, Captains, we hope that you enjoyed the first two episodes of Lower Decks as much as we did, and we are excited to go on this adventure with you. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. This week, we wanted to know what you thought of the Lower Decks Season 2 premiere. From Twitter, Captain BG2301 replied, I have to say, I loved the Season 2 premiere. It was full of Easter eggs, and I feel it's continuing the high from last season. This episode felt even longer than the length we got last season, but that may have just been because of it being the premiere. From Facebook, Matt Black said, Love the Wrath of 
Yukon era Miranda Bridge and Tendi and Rutherford's B plot. When will we finally see Cetacean Ops? That's a good question. Did you guys notice the Jem'Hadar uh, bug destroyer as the Miranda? Oh, was, in the ships. Yeah, yeah. As yes, as the, as she was escaping in the Miranda, there was a Jem'Hadar bug ship. Awesome. Oh yeah. From our Facebook group, Phil Huffman said, "Amazing opening to what promises to be an amazing season. Easter eggs and callbacks galore. Does anyone else want a poster of that Gary Mitchell scene?" Yeah, yes. that was cool. That's a good idea. That was awesome. From Twitter, Multiverse Tom summed it up. Loved it. This season is gonna be fun. Well, that wraps up episode 519 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald and Gerald Bosch. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Eagle Moss and our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains, this last year and a half has been incredibly difficult, and hopefully, as things start to try to get to normal, so will your lives as well. Nevertheless, we are humbled by the continued support that you have offered us throughout this pandemic, through these incredibly difficult times. So, if you happen to find value in this production, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn about all the latest publications, tools, tip tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Alex, and Lennon. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. been gone quite a lot since we've been gone oh no you didn't (laughs) yeah see scared the dogs again (laughs) don't do that nice nice that was so well timed perfect (laughs) see didn't you guys miss us and my dogs because i know i sure did with the announcement from Playmobil of a model starship complete with seven crew members. Girks. Girks. Girk. Captain Girk. He's my favorite. <laughs> the book features interviews with actors behind the baddies, such as Alice Krieg, the Borg Queen, Christopher Plummer, General Chang, and Ricardo Montalban, Khan. And profiles not, of alien not folk- Montalban. Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. Ma- he's not bland if he wasn't acting particularly well he was Ricardo Montalbland <laughs> <laughs> oh no you didn't <laughs> I did I went there and I'm not sorry
Christopher Plummer, General Chang, Ricardo Montalblanc. Dang it, now you screw, I can't do it. Uh. <laughs> Christopher Plummer, General Chang, and Ricardo Montalblanc. Montal, Montal, Bon. Montal, Bon. <clears throat> Christopher Plummer, General Chang, and Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I must have been mispronouncing this name my entire life. Maybe. I, I've, I don't, yeah, I don't. I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. Ever since Fantasy Island. <laughs> now I'm going to wake up saying it. In a night Christopher dream. Plummer. I mean, God. Montalban. Montalban. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.